morning. Can everybody hear me? Great. Um, some of you know I work for a LED company. And uh, my son asked me the other day, what's the most powerful LED you could use as a, as a flashlight? I think it was inspired by realizing that cars, the headlights now use LEDs. Not all car models, but quite a few of them. So you can get a sense of how bright an LED can be. So I went online to just find out how bright these things get. Uh, I have a slide that goes along with it if you can, can find it. But uh, they can get some pretty bright LEDs out there. I don't know that this one is even the brightest. But uh, one of the things you find out about when you look at buying something, you know, a lot of time you want to know everything you can about that particular product. And some of the concerns people have is you know, how quickly it runs out of battery uh, or uh, how long will it take to charge it again once it runs out of battery. And that reminds me of the fact that uh, you need power behind that light, right? As, as efficient as LEDs are, uh, the light isn't free. <laughs> you have to pay for it with energy. And um, this is uh, something that David pointed out as he started us on this particular section of uh, First Peter. Uh, we want to, to uh, proclaim uh, the light of the gospel. Uh, we're told in First Peter 2.9, but you are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, his own special people, that you may proclaim the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. So we do want to proclaim the light of the gospel. We want people to know about the Lord. But in order to do so effectively, uh, we have to practice uh, in a practical way uh, uh, the truth of God's word in our lives. Right? We have to live it out. We can't just say it. You share the gospel with someone, but they look at you and they see a life where the power of God is non-existent. Uh, your witness carries very little power with it. It's not going to be that bright light that we want it to be. Um, and so we want to continue with that uh, theme today. Um, we talked about uh, the, the witness um, the witness that comes through obeying governing authorities, uh, that David did that for us a couple of weeks ago, uh, following the laws of the land. Right? Are you a person who follows the law of the land, or are you breaking the law of the land uh, in a public way? Again, that takes away from the power of your witness. Uh, and then uh, Luke shared with us about uh, obeying authorities at the workplace. Right? Are you a person who's following uh, the rules of your company? Uh, following the instruction of your manager, or you're not, you're rebelling against them. Again, that would uh, affect the power of your testimony at the workplace. And today we want to think about marriage, because that is what we have for us in God's Word today. So turn with me, if you would, to First uh, Peter uh, chapter 3. And uh, maybe as an aside, while you're turning there, uh, I was also thinking about how sometimes, you know, we don't want to do uh, what, what the Word tells us to do, um, you know, obeying the governing authorities. I don't really want to pay my taxes. 
I don't really want to follow traffic laws. You know, that's going to be a pain. Um, it's interesting, in First Peter, um, earlier in chapter 2, uh, it describes our life like this, coming to him as to a living stone, meaning our coming to Christ, rejected indeed by men, he was rejected, but chosen by God and precious, you also, as living stones, are being built up a spiritual house, a holy priesthood, to offer up spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. So here's a description of our life as offering up spiritual sacrifices to God, living a life that pleases God. And it's this type of sacrifices. David says, I will not offer to the Lord something that costs me nothing. Uh, when we do something for God that we wouldn't want to do otherwise, like paying taxes, obeying traffic laws, but we're doing it for him, uh, it's a sacrifice. It's a well-pleasing aroma to him. I mean, and, um, and, you know, like I said, it energizes this light that we want to light of the gospel truth. And I was thinking how some people in the past, uh, the way they uh, lit up the gospel, the power of the gospel, was by giving up their lives. We think of the, the people, believers who, who were killed for their witness um, over the ages, uh, whether, whether offered up to, uh, uh, to uh, gladiator shows in Rome or, or today people suffering persecution in North Korea. Again, they're, they're fueling the power of the gospel by giving their lives. You know, how much of a smaller sacrifice is it to be willing to obey governing authorities to power the gospel, obeying workplace authorities, and today looking at marriage as well. Uh, maybe the Lord wants you to do something that you would naturally want to do, but uh, yet it powers the gospel. And, and, you know, what a light burden it is compared to some of the price people paid in the past to, to light the gospel, power the gospel. Okay, with that, uh, turn if you would to First Peter chapter 3. Hopefully you already did, starting in verse 1. Wives, likewise, be submissive to your own husbands, that even if some do not obey the word, they without a word may be won by the conduct of their wives. When they observe your chaste conduct accompanied with fear, do not let your adornment be merely outward, arranging the hair, wearing gold, or putting on fine apparel. Rather, let it be the hidden person of the heart with the incorruptible beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, which is very precious in the sight of God. For in this manner, in former times, the holy women who trusted in God also adorned themselves, <coughs> being submissive to their own husbands, as Sarah obeyed Abraham, calling him Lord, whose daughters you are if you do good and are not afraid with any terror. Husbands, likewise, dwell with them with understanding, giving honor to the wife as to the weaker vessel, and as being heirs together of the grace of life that your prayers may not be hindered. Again, we want to be thinking about shining the gospel light and recognizing that there has to be a reality in our lives uh, to project that light. And in this case, it's uh, the reality of a marriage that honors God, 
right? If, um, if in my marriage relationship, I am behaving in a way that is consistent with God's revelation, uh, it's a witness, it's a testimony uh, to others that allows me to preach the gospel with power. If people look at my marriage life and they don't see me living consistently with the revelation of God regarding what the marriage ought to be, uh, it takes away right, from the power of preaching uh, the gospel to those who know me and my family life. Right? Um, it would take away. So what is it that we need to do? First, there is an instruction <coughs> for wives to be submissive to their own husbands. Uh, this is uh, not a popular teaching of the Bible. Surprise, surprise. I uh, went to a church last week, and um, I could tell the, the pastor or the preacher was very careful not to step on any toes. You know, he, he, he was trying to preach a message that was biblically based, uh, but uh, careful not to offend anybody. And uh, he even said some things that were not, not quite biblical. But, um, and, and the reason for that is uh, it's, you know, it's an open church to the public. They're hoping people will come in. They're hoping they'll enjoy and appreciate the message and that they'll come back the next week, right? And it doesn't happen if you're going to tell them something that they don't want to hear. So, uh, you know, as I was thinking about it afterward, I just appreciated how here I can come and I can preach what the Word of God teaches, even if it's not popular. Now, I don't want anybody to be offended, but uh, I want to be true to God's Word. And, uh, and there's benefit, of course, in being true to God's Word. So why is it so unpopular? Well, for one, uh, be, telling someone that they need to be submissive to somebody else uh, suggests to us that you know, they're not as valuable. They're being demeaned. Uh, we think of like slaves have to obey their masters. Um, and, uh, but the Bible teaches uh, that submission is not a sign of, of not being as valuable uh, as a result of my submission. Uh, the Lord Jesus was submissive to God, the Father. And yet he's equal to God. <clears throat> the Lord Jesus is equal, just as much God as God the Father is God. And yet he submitted to God the Father. Um, as a believer, I submit to the Lord Jesus. I don't feel demeaned by submitting to him, right? Uh, I, feel, uh, I feel privileged. Right, to be able to have a relationship with God. Um, so the, an act of submission isn't necessarily demeaning, number one. The other reason I think uh, this teaching is unpopular is it's associated with uh, women being abused, whether in a family-type relationship or uh, in larger society, women not being allowed uh, to vote, women not being allowed in some countries to own a driver license uh, or not allowed to go to school. Uh, so there's, there's, there, has a, there has been oppression of women over, over the years, over the ages, and people will automatically connect it to, oh, look at that. You're, you're teaching you know, that it's okay to oppress women by telling women that they need to be submissive to their husband. So first of all, notice that it's, a very, it's very specific to the marriage relationship here. 
right? This is not saying women should always give place to a man and, uh, you know, always do whatever any man tells them to or wants them to. No, it's particularly for the, for the marriage relationship. Wives, likewise, be submissive to your own husbands. It's just within the marriage relationship. Second, we'll see uh, more closely as we continue, uh, the husband has instructions as well. It's not like God is throwing the woman, you know, to the wolves here. You know, he's, he's going to give very clear instructions to the husband what he's supposed to be doing, right? There's no, the God is not approving here of, of wife abuse, right? But within the, woman, within the marriage relationship, the woman is to submit to her husband, very clear uh, in this package, in this passage. Um, many people reject this teaching. As I said, it's unpopular. And... Uh, and we've seen uh, in, uh, in recent years that uh, there's an increase in broken families. So I think it's, it's fair to say that you know, whatever movement we've seen over the past couple of generations, maybe more, uh, of suggesting that women should not submit to their husband, hasn't made marriage relationships better. We seem to see more broken families. Uh, as, as time passes. And I think there's likely some association uh, with, uh, I, I want to be careful because I think there's some good things about recognizing, you know, women have rights uh, and, and they should be fully protected. Uh, but the, you know, a woman's not willing to submit to her husband hasn't helped marriage relationship. It's, it's resulted in more broken families. Um, and uh, the best way, always, if we want to know how to, uh, if I want to know how to, to fix something or how to, to manage something well, uh, let's say I got a, a vehicle, right? What is it that I want to, to look at if I, want to, if I want my vehicle to run well? It's a question. Oil, oil, level. oil level, right? Uh, I'm sorry? Yeah, instruction manual, right? The owner's manual, right? Somebody made the car, right? And they know how the car should run, and they know how the car should be fixed if there's anything wrong in the car. Uh, and our, our uh, owner's manual for the marriage was written by the person who invented marriage. Guess who that is? Genesis 1. And the Lord God said, it is not good that a man should be alone. I will make him a helper comparable to him. Right? So it was God's idea from the beginning. When God made, made mankind, he also created marriage. And he told us how uh, marriage should be run. And part of it is, is the wife submitting uh, to her own uh, husband. And uh, this makes sense uh, if you're willing to to think about it in the larger uh, picture, uh, all societies have authority structures. This government has an authority structure. We tried very carefully to make sure no single person ends up with all the power. So we have the executive branch and the legislative branch and the I think judicial branch, right? To try to divide, and that's fine. There's nothing wrong, you know, with dividing it. But there's still a governing structure to this country. In this country will be a better country if people follow those authorities. 
right? When people refuse to follow the authorities of the land, this country is going to go down the drain, right? As other countries have in the world when people refuse to follow uh, the rule. Same thing with a company, right? We talked about the workplace last week. What happens when uh, employees refuse to listen to the managers, when they refuse to follow the laws of the company? What would happen to that company? It's not going to be a good workplace. It's not going to survive very long. Uh, the same thing about the marriage, right? Uh, God, there is an authority structure that God created. Uh, if we're willing to follow that authority structure, that relationship is a lot more likely to succeed. A marriage is a lot more likely to end up as a successful, happy marriage when the authority structure in the marriage is being followed. It's not likely to do well when that authority structure is not being followed. Right? So it makes sense. Um, okay, uh, second, second point here. Um, the best thing a wife can do for her marriage, really, is to have a husband that follows the Lord. Right? Uh, and what's the best way a wife can help her husband follow the Lord. And, and we recognize there's, there's going to be two cases here. Uh, it describes here, wives likewise be submissive to your own husbands, that even if some do not obey the word, they without a word may be won by the conduct of their wives when they observe your chaste conduct accompanied by fear. So you could have an unsaved husband, right? So obviously one who's not obeying the word. Uh, you could possibly have a saved husband who's not obeying the word too, right? I mean, there's pl been plenty of times in my life I wasn't, wasn't following God's word to me on, on one area or another. Uh, what's the best way a wife can help her husband uh, become obedient to the word? We're told here uh, it's without a word. It's not you coming to your husband telling him, Husband, you're clearly out of the will of God. God clearly says A, B, C, and you're doing D, E, F, right? So, you know, fix it, right? That's not what we're told here, right? We're told here uh, without a word, that they, without a word, may be won by the conduct uh, of their wives. And um, I know that was uh, the case for me. Uh, what was it? So I, I came to this church Believing Christianity uh, was, uh, was make-believe, was a hoax, right? Uh, people, you know, came here for some social reason or another, but uh, there wasn't any reality uh, behind, behind it. There was no, no God. And it was when I saw people here, you know, reading the Bible, studying the Bible together, and making changes in their life, based on what the word said. That made me realize, no, this is real. <laughs> right? People are willing to do things differently. They're willing to change. They're willing to act in a way that otherwise wouldn't be natural, doesn't follow their natural inclination. Why? Because they believe this is really what God wants them to do. Right? There's, there's, there's a God behind the Bible that they wanted to please. Right? And that's that started to change my thinking. Um, and the same thing is going to be true when a husband has a wife who uh, is doing something that isn't naturally appealing to her. 
because it is what the husband wants her to do, or rather, because it's what God wants her to do. It says, when they observe your chaste conduct accompanied by fear. Uh, so chaste conduct, uh, often we think about it as sexual purity, but it could be any kind of purity, or really all kind of purity, desiring to please God. That's the chaste conduct of a wife. Um, when she does it accompanied by fear, it's not out of fear of her husband. It's out of fear of God. And again, when we use the word fear in reference to God, it's, it's with respect. I want to please God. I'm afraid to be out of God's will. It's not a good place to be. I, I, I don't, I'm not afraid of God generally. I love God. That's, a, that's my dominant feeling. But I know if I'm stepping out of good, God's will, I'm not in a good place. I'm afraid of being out of God's will. And the same thing is true for a wife. She wants to please God. She wants to have a chaste, a pure conduct before God. She realized part of it is obeying my husband, even though, you know, he's far from perfect. Uh, when the husband recognizes, like, why is she doing this? Like, it's because, you know, of God, right? She wants to, to honor God. She wants to obey God. And that strikes the husband with, you know, where am I? <laughs> am I doing what God wants me to, to be? If she's afraid of being out of God's will, shouldn't I be afraid of being out of God's will? Right, that's the power uh, of, you know, a chaste conduct. You wanting to follow God yourself. You following God, even if your husband is not following God, is the most powerful thing you can do as far as getting your husband uh, with the program. And again, you know, we, we, we pray uh, for all of you ladies that have uh, unsaved husbands, right? We, we desire to uh, see them saved as well. Okay. Um, okay. Uh, the third thing we see here is the benefit of, of a hidden, hidden beauty or, or adornment. Uh, it says, uh, do not let your adornment be merely outward, arranging the hair, wearing gold, or putting on uh, fine apparel. Uh, it doesn't say that a woman should not seek to look outwardly beautiful, right? I appreciate uh, women uh, taking their time, you know, in the morning, you know, wanting, wanting their hair to, to look nice, uh, you know, wearing uh, clothes that complement them, uh, you know, jewelry. I mean... I think women do look nice when they make the effort, and God is not against that, right? It doesn't say not to do it. Uh, it says don't let it merely be. You know, don't stop. Don't stop with how your outside looks, right? Keep going to the greater or more important uh, beauty in verse 4. Rather, let it be the hidden person of the heart with the incorruptible beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, which is very precious in the sight of God. What is this beauty that's precious in the sight of God? Uh, it's an inner beauty. It's that of the heart or your, your uh, character, if you would. Uh, gentle, gentle, I think of as being careful not to hurt others, right? Careful how you treat others. Don't, don't hurt the people around you. Act in such a way to minimize uh, harm to others. Um, and second, uh, quiet. Now, uh, 
quite, you could interpret it in different ways. Uh, in this passage, I believe the uh, application would be quiet as in peaceable, not easily disturbed. It's not saying that the women shouldn't be speaking. Uh, I want my wife to communicate with me because as much as she thinks I might know what's bothering her, I might not. And so if, she's, if she will tell me, uh, you know, then it helps me be a better husband, right? Tell me, tell me what's wrong. Uh, let's talk about it. Uh, but uh, it is, it is uh, part of the hidden beauty not to be disturbed by the things that go around you. Uh, life, life often brings in troubling news, and uh, we can get excited about it and upset, or, or we could be, you know, maintain the peace of God and say, Lord, you're still in control. And, uh, you know, I want to, you know, I want to deal with the situation, I want to fix the situation, but I don't want to get upset about it, right? That would be being quiet, right? Not letting yourself uh, be disturbed by it. Uh, what's, why is this, uh, why is that beauty more important than this beauty we see on the screen, the outward beauty? Uh, number one, in context of the passage, uh, it helps with a happy marriage, right? We want to have a marriage that glorifies God. Being gentle and quiet <coughs> helps uh, with the marriage relationship. Proverbs 21.19 says, Better to dwell in the wilderness than with a contentious and angry woman. <laughs> Sorry, that's the word of God. Uh, you know, we... You know, if, if the wife is, is easily uh, disturbed and gets upset, if she's not gentle, if she's angry, uh, it doesn't make for a happy marriage, right? That that's, that's would be, things would, would be very difficult in the household. So being, having a gentle and quiet spirit uh, helps with a marriage that glorifies God. Number two, uh, this uh, beauty, it says, is incorruptible. So... You know, as beautiful as you might look today, uh, the time will come where that beauty is going to fade. It's corruptible, right? Uh, we'll get old, <coughs> and, uh, and we will lose that beauty, right? But the hidden beauty of the heart, we're talking about here, the gentle and quiet spirit, uh, is incorruptible. It doesn't go away, right? It, you, can, you can maintain it as you get older. You can perfect it as you get older. And so it's a better, better beauty to work on, is the hidden beauty. And uh, finally, it says it's very precious in the sight of God. So, you know, outward beauty, you know, people appreciate, right? You know, when you do your hair uh, and other things. Um, I don't think God is affected by the beauty, your outward beauty. He looks inside at your character. And it's the, that hidden beauty of the heart, that character that God really appreciates. And so that's what we want to be working on. Uh, <clears throat> the uh, fourth, fourth thing that can help my marriage is to follow uh, godly examples. Um, and maybe I should go back to Howard's illustration. I understand that you, know, you and Kathy used to go on this you know, four-wheel drive into deserted part of California, and that's great. But uh, often when I'm hiking, I like seeing people in front of me. Not necessarily right ahead of me, but, you know, whatever, a few hundred feet, a few hundred yards, maybe even a mile up. 
Why? Because I kind of know I'm going the right way. <laughs> I didn't get lost. Uh, and the same thing uh, is true uh, when it comes to happy, happy marriages or marriages that please God. Um, you want to follow good examples. Um, we may not find those examples on TV, right? If you want to be a wife that, that helps a successful marriage, um, you know, you get all kinds of things projected at us from media, TV, theater, social media. Uh, there's a lot of uh, ideas out there, a lot of examples out there uh, that are not really leading you in a good way. But if you find an example, um, uh, that, that is certified in the scripture. This is a good example. Follow that one. You know you're safe. And so uh, Peter gives it to us. He says, For in this manner, in former times, the holy women who trusted in God also adorned themselves, being submissive to their own husbands. As Sarah obeyed Abraham, calling him Lord, whose daughters you are, if you do good and are not afraid with any terror. So Sarah is being given as an example uh, Hebrews 11 says, By faith, Sarah herself also received strength to conceive seed. And she bore a child when she was past the age because she judged him faithful who had promised. Sarah was, uh, if I understand, about 90 years old when she had Isaac. She was past childbearing age. It was physically impossible for her to have the son of promise, Isaac. And yet, when given the promise, uh, even though she laughed at first, and that's how Isaac got his name, uh, she believed. She believed God's promise. And as a result of her faith, she was able to bear Isaac, who became the father of, of the Jewish people, and also in the line of the Messiah himself. So, I mean, she, Sarah is a good example, right? Uh, we, we certainly want to follow her. What was the example she gave us? Uh, she obeyed Abraham, calling him Lord, so she was submissive. Now, let me tell you, as wonderful as, as we say Abraham was, he wasn't always wonderful. And uh, some of the instructions he gave his wife were very strange. Um, for those of you who are not familiar with it, uh, he told her whenever they go into like, some new kingdom, she's supposed to say he's my brother instead of my husband. Right? And instead of, of saying, this is my husband, she would say, this is my brother. So just in case you know, they get smitten by your beauty, they won't kill you and take you to be their wife. Right? Um, and it actually happened twice, two times during uh, Abraham's pilgrim. Sarah was taken away from him to be somebody else's um, concubine or whatever. In both cases, uh, God interceded. Right? He stopped anything from happening to her. Uh, but it just shows that her following Abraham uh, was certainly questionable. She could have questioned, say, Abraham, you know, this is the last time I'm going to do what you tell me. Uh, but no, she, she, uh, she trusted in the Lord, right? So she obeyed Abraham, um, but she trusted in the Lord. That's why it says, if you do good and are not afraid in any time. She wasn't afraid to follow Abraham's lead, trusting that God would protect, that God would bless her. And uh, if you follow that example, the scripture says, you are daughters of Sarah. Right? You could consider yourself following her when you follow that example of her. Okay, uh, that's it as far as God's word to the wives. Now, what's God's word uh, to the husbands, right? <clears throat> um, Sometimes we get uh, packages 
uh, in the mail, and they will have a label on them um, such as this, you know, fragile, uh, handle with care, right? And I know that, you know, there's something, I need to be careful with whatever is uh, in that box. Uh, Maybe it has a, there's a chance of breaking it, and it's of, of value, right? I don't want to lose what I just received. And uh, that would be fair to, to consider that uh, as husbands, right? Um, dwell with them with understanding, giving honor to the wife as the weaker uh, vessel. Understanding, it's easy uh, to imagine as a husband, you know, wait a second, okay, my wife has to do what I tell her to do. So, I mean, I would really like a steak dinner and, you know, maybe she could give me a foot massage while I'm watching TV. Yeah, that sounds good, right? Uh, that's not <laughs> what the scripture tells me to do. Live with, the, with understanding, meaning uh, consider what her needs are, right? Uh, what is it, what is it that, that would benefit her? Uh, I don't have that passage in uh, quoted down here, but in Ephesians, it tells us to, to love the wife just as Christ loved the church and gave himself uh, for it, washing her with the washing of water, with the word, right? that he may present her to himself uh, a perfect church without any blemish. Our desire should be, just as the wife uh, has a desire to have a husband who's walking with the Lord, who's obeying the word, our desire should be for our wife to be doing well spiritually. Right? Uh, be doing well mentally, be doing well physically. Right? He who loves his wife loves his own body, we're told. And that requires understanding what are my wife's needs. Uh, I, you know, sometimes, you know, look at my house and I'm like, boy, look at all this stuff around here. We don't need this stuff. Let's just get rid of this stuff. And I realize, you know, my wife has a different way of looking at this item. She sees potential in these things. There's all these things I can do because I have this stuff. And sometimes she does. She'll, she just, uh, this week, she pulled out of uh, one of our cupboards like a cheese grater. I swear we've never used, probably been there for 10 years, but uh, my daughter wanted to make some, you know, handmade pizza. And there's that cheese grater we can pull out so she could grate her fancy cheese and make some nice pizza, which I enjoyed very much, right? So sometimes your wife may have a vision of, of, of something that you don't, right? And, and she sees value in something you don't. And as a husband, you are told to live with her with understanding. You know, what is it that my wife sees? What is it that she values? What is it that she needs? You're not supposed to rule the family for your own benefit. You need to consider your wife's benefit as well, your wife's health, uh, encouragement. Um, it, says, it says here, uh, giving honor to the wife as to the weaker vessel, and uh, I'm not sure in what sense it means the wife to be weaker. It's true that on average, uh, wives would have, you know, wouldn't be as strong as men are, right? I could probably beat my wife at an arm wrestling contest, right? Uh, but... Uh, Wives can be a lot more endurable than men. Some wives could, you know, could handle uh, like things like going through labor, which I think no man has ever gone 
and uh, wouldn't perhaps do as well. So in some way, wives could be tougher and stronger than men are as well. Uh, so weaker could also mean, um, besides for these other things, uh, being disadvantaged in the sense of not having power to rule over the household as the man. The man has, uh, if you would, the right to rule uh, over the household, which puts the wife in a weaker position, right? So whatever reason we might want to think about wives as being weaker uh, should cause us to take better care of them, um, such as when we have someone in society that's weaker, right? a person who uh, might have a financial disadvantage or a mental problem or some physical uh, disability, what do we do? We, we try to provide for whatever weakness they have. I'm going to help you out because you need more help than other people especially children. We see children and, and we take an extra care around them. We don't want to hurt them uh, in any ways. If that's in any way true regarding your wife, you see any kind of weakness, it means you need to be that much more careful to make sure you're taking care of her uh, and providing uh, for her. And then uh, finally, recognizing that she is a fellow heir of the grace of life. Your wife is not any less valuable than you are in the sight of God. She is just as valuable. And her rewards in heaven might be greater than yours. Right? God might be more pleased, even though he's given you as the husband uh, the place of authority in the family. God may look at your wife with more favor than he's looking at you at any given moment, right? Because she might be obeying him uh, more. The women of Jesus' day seem to be more spiritual than the men. Right? The one person who got the fact Jesus was going to die for them uh, was, was Mary. Right? She was the one who came to honor the Lord. And the, the men were like, you know, stop that. You're wasting it. And Jesus is like, you know, all of you guys are missing the picture. Right? She actually sees through to what's really going to happen. So wives can certainly be more spiritual than their husbands, which should give husbands pause right, in how they're treating uh, their wives. What's the motivation of a husband of treating his wife well? Uh, we're told in this passage that your prayers may not be hindered. Do you want uh, an unhindered prayer life? Uh, honor your wife, right? Live with her with understanding. Take good care of your wife because God uh, is not pleased when you're not treating your wife well. And as a result, he may not answer your prayer. So motivation for the husband, number one, unhindered prayer life. Number two, unhindered marriage. How well will your marriage go if you're mistreating your wife? It's not going to go well. Don't, don't say, well, my wife has to be submissive to me and that will fix the marriage. No. Right? Your wife is not going to have an easy time being submissive to you if you're not treating her well. Right? And that's not going to be a happy marriage either way. So an unhindered marriage. And finally, an unhindered testimony, right? Why are we talking about this in the larger context of the letter? We want to proclaim the praises of him who called us out of darkness into his marvelous life. How effective is your testimony when you're mistreating your wife? It's not. It's not. And so we want to treat our wives well. All right. Uh, I, I love... Uh, I love this picture by uh, Thomas Kincaid. Really, all of his pictures, they always have something about them that uh, kind of captures the light in an unusual, usually fine way. 
And um, this is what we would like to have. We would like to have homes that shines the truth of God's word, that shine the gospel, that are uh, a blessing to others, and that we can enjoy ourselves. Looking at that house, I, you know, I can just imagine how pleasant it is uh, to be inside and how much it draws people on the outside. This is what we want our families to, to be like. This is what we want our marriages to be like. We want them to be uh, uh, things that can draw, uh, draw the world uh, to the Lord. Um, uh, the keys for, for having it are very clear in the scripture. If we're willing uh, to follow the scripture, it, uh, it includes respecting uh, the authority structure that God gives uh, in a marriage, wives being submissive to the husband, but husbands obeying the word of God, especially in regards to how they're treating their wives, uh, seeking spiritual well-being of one another, wives wanting their best for their husbands, spiritual well-being and husbands for the wives, seeking the beauty of a godly character um, and uh, following godly examples that he gives us uh, to follow. Let's pray that that will be the reality in our lives. Father, we thank you for your goodness to us. We thank you for the Lord Jesus Christ. He is uh, worthy to be praised as we discussed this, this morning. Uh, we, we, we should... Uh, seek to honor him in all our ways and for others to have an opportunity to know of his love for them too. We recognize our marriages uh, can, can uh, form a foundation to, to this kind of testimony. And so we pray, Lord, that you, you help us conduct ourselves in a way that will bring you the maximum glory out of our marriages. For we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.